welcome to Mojo for the Modern Man, episode number 10. This is Ken Mossman, your host here at Mojo for the Modern Man. And today I'll be presenting the first half of a two-part conversation I had with the inimitable Edwin Vega. And there's a lot to be said about Edwin, and I'm going to leave most of it for what you're going to hear in our conversation. Today, of course, we'll be digging into some of his history, including heading off to boarding school at the tender age of 12, finding his way to the world of music, the parallels between singing in front of an audience, sometimes quite large, and the work that he does now in leadership, and uh, Edwin's deep work in the realm of equity, diversity, and inclusion. And before we get into the conversation, just a quick reminder, if you haven't yet, to please uh, go ahead and subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcast source. And with that, here's my conversation with Edwin Vega. Enjoy. I had the pleasure of meeting Edwin for the first time, Edwin Vega, for the first time in a coach training course where he, and you can correct me on this, Edwin, if I don't have it right, because I think the first time you and I met was when you were assisting a program that I was uh, actually co-leading in New York City. Is that, is that right? You're almost right. The first time I met you was actually in uh, the, the fourth class that we took in the training process. Uh, it was you and Eric Koner leading me and a bunch of women how to be more comfortable with our feelings around love and acceptance. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was you, you and, and that was the first time. But then we met many times after in the New York area doing some assisting. Beautiful. I'm glad you remember. Uh, I, 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 let me put it this way. I'm glad one of us remembers and, I, and, it, and it's fine that it's not me. <laughs> Don't, don't so ask me ten years, you know that'll be a little. <laughs> so, so welcome, welcome, Edwin. Lovely to have you here. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. So, so let's start here. What was it like growing up in your part of the world? Yeah, you know my um, my mind kind of goes to kind of two worlds. Uh, up until I was 12 years old, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, sharing a home with my mom, my dad, and my brother. Uh, and then after 12 years old, I went to the Milton Hershey School, which is a boarding school that if you've ever brought a Hershey candy bar, 51% of it goes towards a boarding school. So they have a boarding school that started as an orphanage for white boys in 1909. And as social demographics changed, men of color came in in the 60s and then women in the late 70s. So I spent seventh through 12th grade in Hershey, Pennsylvania, mostly year round at a boarding school. And that changed my life. Yeah. And in, in, in what way? When you say it changed your life, oh, in what God. way? I mean, so many. I mean, um, I'm just like looking over at a picture of my mom and dad. Um, yeah, my mom only went to eighth grade, you know, so she was kind of cut short in her education. Uh, she was the oldest daughter when my grandmother had to go to work. So it was kind of like, well, you got to stay here with the kids, kind of that situation. And uh, my dad only graduated from high school. So I know for me, it was, I know, I think on paper, my parents didn't want me to move away to go to school. Um, but I think they always had this like uh, commitment around providing, sacrificing if it meant that my brother and I would have more opportunities. And I think, especially for my mother, this was like a big sacrifice. Um, but, you know, when I look back, it is the first major turning point in my life. I mean, I, uh, I spent like four years living as a professional musician. And when I look back, 
going to Milton Hershey was the first place I ever sang in a choir. Um, just a lot of my beginnings keep pointing back to that time when I was 12 years old, when I went to school there. And, I, and I'm really curious whose decision, yeah, whose decision uh, was it to go in that direction? Well, you, you, <laughs> my trauma therapist, who I just met with a week ago, may say something different. <laughs> but um, for myself, uh, you know, I, I, I always said to myself, like, my parents are always like, are you sure? Like, that you want to go? You know, I was the baby of the family. Um, you know, I think once when I was maybe eight years old, they bought me a ticket to go be with my grandparents in Puerto Rico. And of course, the night before, I was like, no, you're not going. I can't go by myself. So I was really attached to my parents. Um, but this one, I just kind of kept walking towards blindly. Like, I don't know, like, um, my brother had been in a boarding school in Connecticut out of another opportunity that his scholarship changed because my parents' income just naturally went up and they couldn't afford it. So then his basketball coach there said, hey, there's this free school. If they can get into it, they both could go. My brother was too old to get admitted. He was already like a junior in high school. Um, but then I got admitted. And it was kind of like this wild roller coaster, but it always came on me. And my parents are like, listen, if at any point you want to leave, you just let us know, we'll bring you back. So they always kept pointing it back at me, which partially I didn't even know what I was getting into. That's a big part of that. At the tender age of 12. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, yikes. Um, and at the same time, like I just had my parents kind of like, hey, we know you got this, but if you don't, we got you. There was a little bit of, a, uh, of that feeling all the time. Um, and it was great. And, and how, uh, how did that experience, cause you mentioned that was the first, that was the first place that you sang in a choir and, you know, four years of a professional musician. Um, how did that experience point you? Well, I definitely started at the bottom of the bucket. I'm not even sure if I was in the bucket, like, Someone pulled me out of a class. This kid was like, oh, we need more guys for the chorus. Would you come and sing? I was like, sure, you know. And then they have, it was like for a parent weekend show. They did like a Mother's Day show for the moms and all the kids performed in different groups and stuff. And somehow I got a solo for in this uh, Michael Jackson's Heal the World. And I remember, and <laughs> you can see the video, um, there's a spotlight on me. I sing this not so great solo. And um as a, the spotlight's fading away, you can hear in the video, that's okay, honey. <laughs> and you see me kind of like, what's okay, you know? <laughs> it didn't go so well. Um, so it was just very interesting that from, and this has kind of been the story of my life in different evolutions of music, you know, like I went to grad school, you know, or I went to undergrad, I was like the worst one, but by the end I was near the top. I got to grad school, I was the worst one again. So, you know, there's this kind of like pushing work ethic that always kind of elevated me, even though initially natural musical talent was very hard to find. Interesting. Um, you know, because my experience of you has always been through this coaching and, and leadership uh, uh, lens, if you will. And, uh, and I, and I wasn't aware until, uh, until we were, you know, we were, we were well down the road, I'll say, well, I wasn't aware until, until we were well down the road that you even had this musical background. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, I have so many questions about the, the, the musical side of the equation and, um, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I think, uh, the question that I really want to ask you is, 
In what way did your musical education, your musical experience, in what way has that uh, contributed to impacted the work that you do now? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, one, we talk about like coaching the whole person. And if we're going to do that and like see whether we're coaching a child or an adult, like if we really want to coach all that they are, their dreams, their hopes, their fears, um, who they are, who their family's been generationally, all of that, we ourselves have to kind of step into the same kind of field, you know? So for me, what's been really cool is that even in my leadership work, I get to bring that essence of music. So for me, that means standing up in front of people, like when I would sing, singing in front of 3,000 people doesn't make me nervous. Um, so in the same way, the same thing translates to the class. It's like when I get on stage, I have an outward orientation. It's not about me, my thoughts. Everything I, I did before that led up to that specific moment, right? Whether in music, I, I prepared, I learned, I practiced, uh, you know, Russian or Polish, you know, whatever languages I had to sing in. I had to do all that work so precisely so that when I got on stage, I let it all go, kind of go in a sense of automatic, but also being very present to what was going on in the moment. And I feel like for coaching and uh, leadership, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, that's the plank that I've walked on in my life of like, you know, being on the spot, high stakes. Um, so I really make a, a similar parallel to that for myself. I do hope you're enjoying this conversation between Edwin Vega and myself here on Mojo for the Modern Man. And just a reminder, if you haven't yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting delivery service. And now back to our conversation. Yeah, it's beautiful. And, 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 and specifically, um, I, have all, boy, I have all these questions about <laughs> voice and... <laughs> So many. And, and uh, uh, yeah, specifically, how do you see the, the, the music impacting your leadership work? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm still searching in some ways. I'm like, there's probably something here about connecting the voice to leadership, even really explicitly. You know, like, I've not gone down that road, but I know there's something there. So that's kind of like in this like bank of like, where does this pop up? And that was the um, other question in the back of my mind, by the way. So you just, you just brought it yeah. on yourself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know, <laughs> I know, I know there's something there. I'm kind of waiting for it to emerge in some way, which will be really cool. Um, in the simplest way, like when you think about like old musicians, like composers, I would write a song and be like, Ken, oh my gosh, come play the song for me and my friends at our dinner party. And you'd play it and everyone would love it. And it'd be premiered there. And I think, we've moved so far away from that aspect of just sharing music. Everything feels like a little bit like Instagram likes and YouTube viral and this or that. So what I love about this is like, I can sing for a class at the end of a three day course and they're just blown away. They're so happy. And I'm just so happy that they're happy. There's no like attachment to it. It's just done for the sake of sharing. It's done just for the sake of music. So some of the um, things I do, I even though I don't sing professionally anymore, I volunteer with a nonprofit organization called Vocal Ease mm. in the New York City area. And they go to the four of the five boroughs to deliver music to people in nursing homes, senior living centers, and rehab units within medical, medical hospitals. So for me, that's great. You know, we go, we, they have our music, they have a professional um, pianist and percussionist there. And the impact you see on people in the room is just magical. It takes away all the gunk that happens sometimes when you become a professional musician. 
and uh, not needing to get validation. You just get to show up as you are, which turning it back to leadership, that's all we're wanting for people. Can you just fully show up as who you naturally are, stripped away of all the labels you've put on yourself that society has put on you? Can you just show up as you fully are? And that's what I kind of feel when I get to sing. Yeah, it's fascinating listening to this because there's a, 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 on the one hand, of course, it's a performance. On the other hand, par, a, a big piece of what I'm hearing in there is that uh, uh, it's, it, it, it's a sharing without that kind of performative pressure. Yeah, I mean, look, like one time when I sang, we were singing, um, and probably like My Girl, you know, the, the oldie My Girl. And a lot of songs yeah. you sing oldies because that age group, that's kind of like their, that was their, their pop current tunes. And you'll see someone hunched over in a wheelchair, drool coming out, not paying attention, not like there. And they hear a song that they're familiar with. They hear My Girl and all of a sudden they start moving, their hands stop bopping, their lips are moving to the chorus and the music stops and then they go back to the position that they originally started in. Mm. And like, whoa, this is not even about me. This is about something above me. Um, it just seems like something bigger takes place. And, and I think it was hard to feel that when you're chasing a paycheck, chasing the next job. There was so much in the way of that. And I, I love that this volunteering or singing for classes that I do, um, it just feels like the more that basic natural way of just sharing something, you know? Yeah, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And there's, I, I, I know there's lots of stories that, Mm. you could tell you mean like when i sang the maria from west side story and someone in the audience is kind of going maria <laughs> every th 10 or 13 seconds just kept out yelling maria that would be one but there are more <laughs> <laughs> I, I i hope you've written these down somewhere <laughs> i haven't but now i'm beginning to think it might be a good time <laughs> <laughs> this would be a good time yeah this would be a good time <laughs> So let me take it in a different direction because, of course, you and I are speaking, and we're uh, we're speaking in July of uh, of 2020. Uh, uh, the 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 U.S. is uh, uh, in the in the midst of uh, high COVID. Uh, uh, frankly, uh, we are in uh, the the uh, in the in the in the wake of uh george floyd of course and you have been doing work in the arena of uh diversity inclusion for uh for a while now mm. and um what share a little bit about what that what brought you to that work specifically because one could argue it's a little bit far afield of the world of opera or even the world of uh i like to think that it's not far afield of the world of leadership it's actually uh vitally important um so yeah share a little bit about what what has what has brought you to that work well here's what's great i think the field of coaching and leadership are actually waking up to the awarenesses of those movements. So I think that's a very positive thing. Um, in its own way, though very slow, I think the world of opera is kind of waking up. I mean, there's in some ways, 
people, organizations, and systems can't ignore it anymore, at least where we're at right now. I also feel like there's also this presence of still the wave of Me Too, you know, that was one of the more recent crashings of disruption in our like kind of global culture. Right. Um, you know, so I feel like it's like there's like this building kind of uh, force that keeps getting added. And it's like a force of um, awareness and awakening, you know. Um, and, you know, you say George Floyd. I also think of Breonna Taylor, who's still, you know, there's a lot of injustice around the attention that's getting. Ahmaud Arbery and just so many folks. So I feel like for myself, while COVID hit, I was kind of more in a recovery mode. I had a big year before that hit. Um, however, for during this like new uprising of the Black Lives Matter movement and whatnot, I've kind of even had a, my own like revitalization around waking up in some ways. Um, I'm Puerto Rican. Uh, both my parents were born in Puerto Rico. My dad grew up on a farm for 13 years in Puerto Rico. Um, I identify as Puerto Rican and as a person of color. And I think just part of just walking through life you've kind of always been around these issues of systemic racism. Uh, one, I have light skin, so I know I benefit from white skin privilege. So in one area, I could see that like I benefit from it, though there were limitations put on me based on the way I looked and what people perceived. Then I'm with, when I'm with people who have darker skin color, I notice that I benefit when I'm around them. And then I also see them not benefiting, which creates a different level of pain, right? To see the people around you and people that you identify, whether it's my father or the people in my family and friends, um, it creates a very interesting kind of twisty, pulley, prickly uh, kind of life experience that I'm trying to now be responsible for consciously more and more. How do I straddle both of these world experiences? And so thankfully, I've been able to do it through my work. Um, I would say 85 well, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna pause you there, but let's come back to this because you mentioned uh, I, I want to I be responsible. Um, to, uh, 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 unpack that a little bit. Unpack that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the the closest zooming in is, I think sometimes, um, and I'm generalizing here, but like as Hispanic communities, oftentimes we, we identify and associate through our ethnicity. Mm-hmm. I'm Puerto Rican, right? And then if you ask someone if you're white, they're like, I'm not white. But if you have white skin, you're benefiting from the system of racism, whether you choose to or not. And there's often sometimes a negligence given away, like, oh, no, that's not about me. But at the same time, they then throw away, that's not me either, because I'm not black. And there's just kind of like a, a writing off that happens um, amongst like my, what I would say, generalizing again, my peoples. Um, and I think there's awakening here. It's like, wait a minute, we're in this too. We're all in it in different kinds of ways. Uh, my father experiences micro and regular aggressions. I actually had to explain to him what an aggression was, a microaggression. And I said that, that just what happened to you was not a microaggression. Take away micro. That was a legit aggression. So um, I think culturally speaking, that's where my mind first goes is like, oh, wait, I need to be responsible here. If I kind of start doing it in my own way, other people will follow. My father and I have had more conversations about race consciously in the past two months, probably like many people around the U.S. and the world, um, in ways that we've never had it before. So, you know, there's something here about in that taking responsibility of like, how do I benefit from the system of racism? How do I not benefit? How do the people around me experience those two dynamics? And then what stand am I going to take in the middle of that? Who do I bring forward that I see is not really being brought to the table or being pushed ahead? Um, just really important. This is Ken Mossman. Thank you so much for joining Edwin Vega and I for this episode 10 of Mojo for the Modern Man. 
Uh, join us again for episode 11, the second half of the conversation between Edwin and myself, uh, in which the conversation becomes even more spirited and lively, if I do say so myself. And we're going to dig more into uh, the importance of this historical moment, particularly as it relates to the diversity, equity, and inclusion work that Edwin is doing out in the world. And uh, if you want to get in touch with Edwin, through his emails, the best way you can reach him at e d w i n at Edwin Vega. That's e d w i n v e g a dot com. That's Edwin at Edwin Vega dot com. And Edwin is also going to be uh, leading a series of free calls, Coach Master with Edwin, and you can reach out to him and get more information about that. And if you want to reach me. Uh, Ken at CirrusCoaching.com. That's K-E-N at C-I-R-R-U-S Coaching.com. And do visit my website, CirrusLeadership.com, C-I-R-R-U-S Leadership.com. I have a program starting in October as well, a men's program uh, formerly called the Integrated Adult Man, now simply known as I Am, uh, which I invite you to check out. And just a reminder, if you haven't yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man and come visit me on my website or drop me an email. Drop me an email. That's easy for me to say. Drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. Make it a great day. Enjoy and do come back and join us for the second half of our conversation here on Mojo for the Modern Man. Be well. Take care. <laughs>